Hey guys, and welcome to this episode of the Startup Diary.、Uh, now, today you are going to listen to an interview that Adam recently had with a guy called Peter Limburg.、Uh, he's founder of Mobilo Card. That is, according to him, it is the last business card you will ever need.、Uh, his words, not mine.、Uh, but a little bit about Peter. In the late 90s, Peter started off as an internet hustler with various eBay shops and building tailor-made PCs. In 2004, retail was starting to see online disruption, and Peter turned around an old-fashioned photo camera store from analog to digital. Building one of the first online and offline hybrid formulas was a big hit, and revenue grew quickly. In 2012, he sold the company and made the switch to 3D printing service bureau and marketplace Shapeways. At first, taking care of the EMEA supply chain, putting in place management reporting. Lower cost and lead time, and scaling from a handful of vendors to 50 plus, and later joined the MT in New York City to head up growth, sales, and business development. After almost six years at Shapeways, it was time for a change, and through some consulting and failed startup projects, Peter stumbled upon RFID and the untapped potential. This led to the launch of Mobile O Card. So, guys, please sit back, relax, and enjoy this interview with Adam Callow and Peter Limburg. Peter, firstly, a huge thank you for giving up your time to join us on the Startup Diary podcast. How are you?、Uh, excellent, thanks.、Um, great to be here. Super excited.、Uh, so, just for context, for you, where is here? Like, where are you in the world right now? I am、uh, in Hoboken, on the other side of the,、uh, the Hudson River, looking at、uh, downtown Manhattan. Oh, very nice.、Uh, and after looking at your bio, and I can sense the accent, you haven't always been in New York. Where are you from originally? Yeah, no,、um, uh, good catch. Or I guess I'll never ever lose the、uh, the Dutch、uh, accent here.、Um, so I was born in the Netherlands a、um, uh, long, long time ago, and <laughs>、uh, moved、uh, to New York for、uh, a 3D printing、uh, startup called Shapeways. Nice.、Uh, I want to kind of dig into into Shapeways because I think after learning a little bit about yourself, there's there's going to be some interesting learnings for the listeners of the show and, and for me to be honest. And I guess one thing that I enjoy about these podcasts is it's just a way for me to learn. I'm an entrepreneur myself,、uh, so I'm going to try and get as many learnings from you as possible as we yeah, as we go through the next forty five minutes.、Uh, but before we go into Shapeways,、um, what was that move like out of curiosity? That's a big move for work, like moving from Amsterdam. Netherlands to to America. Like, what were the key learnings there? What were the key things that shocked you? Yeah, obviously, I had a lot of friends and、uh, and family asking the same question. And、um, to be honest, I think, in my、uh, personal opinion, New York is the most European part of of the states、uh, in all. So the move wasn't、uh, wasn't too bad. the The change wasn't too big. Uh, I've been going、uh, back and forth before、uh, I made the move.、Uh, in the end, already、uh, a lot. So、um, when you compare to Amsterdam,、uh, people are are、um, hardworking and、uh, you know go go really about business. And、uh, in New York, it's the same way. It's just 10x. So the the buildings are a little bit taller. The people are there are a lot more people, and、um, and everybody goes a little bit faster. But culturally speaking. I think the the shock wasn't as big as、uh, you would go anywhere around the world. I mean, for for work, I've been traveling to、uh, to China, to India, to、uh, the Emirates, to wherever you go, and and、uh, actually the change isn't that big to New York. So I I really liked it. I love the buzz. I live on the energy.、Uh, it was a good move. Yeah, like it. I think one of the things from me is、uh, for. 
for my world, I've always thought about moving to London because I enjoy, I enjoy the energy. Uh, it, it, being down there energizes me from a business perspective, but I've, I've got a young family and I've got the benefit of having you on video on this Zoom call as well. So I can actually see a push chair in the background. Like, uh, what, what is your family situation? Did you move the family or is this a family that you've had since moving to New York? Yeah, I was, um, uh, before I, uh, I got the opportunity and made the decision to move, uh, my relationship just ended. So I was single and, um, uh, you know, to make a decision or to get the opportunity to get to, to go to New York, uh, wasn't really, um, that hard of, of a decision. So I thought, Oh wait, this is the perfect moment. So let me just go. And, uh, after I made uh, the decision we start to, um, uh, pick up things at work and make sure that the, the visas are arranged and all of that stuff. I meet this beautiful young lady that is now my wife. So I moved here uh, alone. And then a year later, uh, my then girlfriend came. And as soon as she moved, I, uh, I obviously immediately proposed to her. I never <laughs> want to ever let this one go. Somebody that moves for you to the other, uh, to, across the ocean. Um, and uh, so uh, after living, I've been living in the city, really on the island uh, for about four years, we moved uh, to the other side of the river where we have a little bit more space. And, uh, and I just became a dad uh, eight weeks ago. So now, now we can call it a family. Oh, wow. Congratulations, mate. I've got a, uh, a six-year-old and a three-year-old. Um, so it's, uh, it's interesting times. But uh, congratulations on the, uh, the new addition to the family. Yeah, thank you. So you mentioned Shapeways earlier. I think there's there's a big there's a lot of questions I want to dig into when it comes to Mobilo Card, but I think there's there's some nice nuggets in your track record around Shapeways. Can you just give the listeners an idea of what Shapeways is, the industry it played in, and your role over there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Shapeways is a, a 3D printing marketplace and service bureau. So the first part, a marketplace, uh, the vision behind it was that you can put superpowers of manufacturing in the hands of every ordinary day consumer. So I can give you the power to create your own products and not having to accept what's out there in the world. And that vision was just so strong. And when 3D printing um, uh, in the end of 2012, uh, beginning to uh, 2013 was at, at its peak of the hype, uh, that was really the idea behind it. That's when I joined. So I had just uh, sold an e-commerce company. I had two retail stores with an online uh, presence. And I joined um, Shapeways as the first time in my life being an employee. Um, but to, knowing the, that I was working with entrepreneurs um, and, uh, uh, and I joined the company as um, head of supply chain for Europe, Middle East, Asia, small team to make sure uh, that um, uh, things were delivered on time at the right price and the right quality. So basically finding vendors and working with our own factories to make sure that uh, our customers got what they wanted. And um, yeah, that, that was just, you know, everybody was about 3D printing. It was going to be the solution to everything in the world. And it's, it's, it was going to be uh, the new internet, the fourth industrial revolution. It was going to be it, yeah, for the next decades. So that was the, the, the time that I joined and that was the spirit at that time. I get a sense from the way that you're speaking about it is I think everyone knows what happened or what didn't happen with 3D printing. Um, it didn't really live up to the hype. Uh, for, that's from, from my one, one person's perspective. Uh, do, you, do you agree? And if so, uh, I guess why? Like what are the key learnings there? Because everyone at one point was talking about 3D printing. It seemed to fall off a cliff. What happened? Yeah. 
Well, the same thing happened as with uh, with lots of these huge innovations. We tend to, and uh, these are not my words, I just borrow them, but we tend to um, overestimate these innovations on the short term and usually underestimate them on the long term. So when, uh, the, uh, when the e-commerce era uh, in the early 2000s uh, was, was starting off, uh, everybody uh, said, oh, in, in, in two, three years from now, we're going to buy half of our stuff online. Now, we, we know today, 20 years later, that uh, that didn't become true because right now we're buying around 10% of our total retail spendings online. And maybe the last couple of weeks it's been a little bit more, but it's not been the massive shift that we've seen. But it's every single day, it's, it's growing super fast. And the same with 3D printing. So um, the consumer thing didn't happen. Uh, that's, that's a fact. And, uh, but it, it made a huge impact on, uh, on, on supply chains all around the world for, um, for other products. But simply uh, semi-finished uh, goods. Um, and uh, of course, customization is a big part of it. But it's still every single day, every time a new company starts, they're going to have to have a choice between, am I going the old-fashioned route, the traditional manufacturing uh, methodologies or are, am I going to produce digitally without inventory made on demand and having the agility to whenever I release a new product or whenever I want to release a new product not having to have first sell to my old stock so uh, it's chipping away at the old uh, traditional manufacturing industry every single day and I think it's, yeah, it's here to stay and it's proven itself in the in the more uh, business to business section yeah. Just like Hirsty, you said the consumer thing just didn't happen. Have you got any um, insights as to why? Was it just cost prohibitive? Like, why did it never catch on? Well, first, we thought that because of all these consumer printers, um, uh, huge brands, and I, I, I won't name them, but uh, there, there were uh, huge brands that sold plenty of these uh, desktop printers. So the thinking was these were going to consumers. And after some some um, heavy research and uh, and consumer insights, it turned out that all these printers weren't going to they were going to consumers, but they were using them for work related things. So we were usually deceived uh, by the fact that these these desktop printers were sold and and these companies were growing faster and faster, but they weren't used for uh, for consumer stuff at all. So that kind of was the the first indicator, and then. Um, it's it's just too hard. I mean, if you I don't know if you've ever tried to design a three D model, but thinking in two D is is hard. Try try thinking in three D and and designing something. And it, it took me, I think, uh, two and a half weeks to uh, to design something as simple as a ring. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. Um, I wanted to move on and sort of understand some of the learnings that you had from that and how you've taken those and moved them into Mobilo. But you mentioned something earlier and you said in your previous life, you had uh, the relationship between an e-commerce business that had the online offline element. Uh, that would just pique my interest a little bit. Can you just explain like what that business was and then how you sort of did that omni-channel approach? Because that feels from the way you spoke about your timeline, it felt like you did that pretty early on. Like what was that experience like and what did you learn? Yeah, I was uh, lucky enough to um, uh, to be exposed to when the internet uh, was coming up. I was in high school, and uh, I was always uh, playing around with uh, with with like the first modems and all that stuff, and building websites. So, um, but I also really loved the magic of retail. That's now it's now completely gone. But you used to be able to go on a Saturday out shopping, 
and you would go fun shopping. You would go around, and there were all these these little, almost like a theme park. You would like the high street. You would you would walk around, and there were all these attractions going on, and the magic of it really appealed to me. So I thought retail was really cool back then. And uh, in 2003, I took over an old-fashioned uh, retail store with uh, digital photo cameras, or basically then they were still analog because they were uh, shooting with film. But my dad had a background in photography and uh, worked for a big uh, uh, distributor uh, of one of those brands. And um, I saw the shift happening from analog to digital. The first digital cameras uh, were coming along. So to combine retail with the digital cameras and with the new, uh, the new internet uh, uh, possibilities and opportunities, that's when I uh, thought, okay, here now I can make a difference. But I immediately, in my uh, na yeah, naiveness, I almost want to say, uh, said, I think a retail store should, be, should have a 24-7 online presence just to not sell online, but to draw people to the store. Because that's where we can make a difference in terms of helping people ask, uh, I mean, the question, uh, answering the, the discovery part, that has to happen in person. So uh, that's where I started. Uh, uh, took over an old-fashioned retail store. It almost got uh, bankrupt. Uh, that's how I could buy it and afford it. Took it over um, and then with some help, uh, turned it into a, a store that had an online presence, but purely to draw people to the store. And that was uh, turned out to be such a, uh, a strong move. I didn't have to uh, put inventory up on the website. I didn't have to do all the hard stuff, but I just... I had always had an online presence and that increased my reach and therefore the company grew uh, much faster than everybody else uh, around me in the local area. So uh, I went from a couple hundred thousand to a couple million dollars in revenue to two locations and then uh, basically rode the wave of uh, the analog to digital transition in photography and then on top of that empowered by technology in the uh, e-commerce e sector. Um, quick question. What was actually on the website? Was it purely just authority content? Like, how are you actually using that as a signpost to your retail store? It was a web shop, but you just couldn't order. So I had all the cameras there. I had all the, the brands, all the lenses and all that stuff. You just clicked and then said, uh, and it said, uh, or, you know, pick it up, on, pick it up in store. How did you fight the urge to just make it a buy button and start shipping nationally out of curiosity? Like, the, so the national play wasn't uh, has ne has never been super strong because I was um, uh, I I I priced my stuff a little bit above uh, the the lowest price so I went for uh, a customer segment that valued uh, that service element I mean if you want to buy a digital camera you you don't want to buy a camera you want to buy beautiful pictures and the thinking behind it is that you sell a hobby and you don't sell boxes and um, that is the ultimate value play right like let's not go for the lowest price. Let's make sure that the people buy from me. They tell their friends that they're going to make the most beautiful and awesome picture. I absolutely love that. I think you, you sell a hobby, not boxes is something that's going to stick with me after this podcast. Uh, really enjoy that. Um, just moving on. Um, I want to sort of like fast forward to today. Um, give me an idea. We've got Mobilo card. It feels like a new business. Before we get into exactly what it does, just give me an idea of how you transitioned from your last role into this one and what made you want to go and start your own business. I'm always interested to know that uh, origin story of a founder to sort of start in their own thing. Just talk me through that. Well, the reason why I left the retail world and joined the 3D printing uh, uh, industry is 
really, I had a, a, a little bit of a checklist. I, I wanted to work for a company that was internationally oriented. Uh, but most, most importantly, I wanted to work for a company that made their own product. Because if you're selling cameras, you're always um, in the hands of, of Nikon, uh, Canon. Right? They, they decide what, what you have to sell. And it's really, you can repackage that into a hobby and, and put some, some online power to it. But um, the 3D printing world, to me, was the epiphany of uh, creating your own product. It was the, 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 the most beautiful thing that I could think of when you, when you say, I am building and shaping my own service and product. So I wanted to learn about that. And uh, then moving on to the MobiloCard, that is something that, uh, again, brings ultimate value to something that um, has lost lost uh, lost its shine and its magic. The business card is, in my opinion, it used to be a representation and a, a token almost of your of your business of you. It would represent you and your brand, and maybe it was even something from the old days, from the sixties, if you think Madman era. <laughs> then uh, right, then then business cards are are something that it was. You first design your business card, and then you design your business, almost right. Yep. Um, so th- I wanted to to bring that magic back. So uh, taking the retail learnings, taking the three D printing learnings, the startup world, um, uh, doing some consulting, and basically um, just to pay the bills, uh, figuring out what comes next, and then uh, and then this came along. So for people that are listening right now, just give us a walkthrough of what the Mobilo card does and it is, and then I want to sort of get into. I guess you're in a very early stage of the business and a lot of our listeners will resonate with where you're at. I want to learn like how you get into the hands of people and sort of what are the challenges you face. So let's start with the first one. Like just give me the 60 second pitch. What is Mobilo card? What's the problem that you're solving? Right. So um, the problem that we're solving is that um, business cards do not connect people. Uh, they're passive and they don't integrate with our, our digital lives. They, they're just a piece of paper, cost a lot of money, burn into the environment. Um, and it really... Uh, the moment I, I, I realized that this was a huge issue and not something small is um, <laughs> a personal experience. You you go to a trade show and you've been talking to people all day. And at the end of the event, it's 11 p.m., you get back to your hotel room. And, you know, the last thing you want to do uh, is, uh, is, is taking all those business cards and following up. But you also know that if you don't do that, that people will forget about you. So speed in sales and follow-up and staying top of mind is, is the ultimate uh, increase you can make in conversion and in, um, in, in, in uh, success. So you're back at your hotel, it's 11 p.m., you want to have a beer at the bar, but you're, this big stack of business cards is eyeballing you, right? They're looking at like, hey, shit, what do I do with this? So I thought there has to be a better way. Um, and I, I had done research on RFID before that because the other thing that bothered me was that I now walk around with five uh, RFID cards and two key fobs, one for the WeWork place, one for the gym, one for the subway, one for the building that I live, one for the, you can, you can name, you have a, a ton of those in your pocket. And I thought, why don't we have one and then with either a switch or why don't we have an app on my phone that, that replaces all of that? So I started to do research. Turns out that all these chips are different, and all these technologies are different. And there's nobody that, that like your like your charger for your phone and your your um, your computer. Nothing is the same. So, but what I did find out is that secretly Apple had turned on uh, NFC reading capabilities at the end of 2018, which means that all phones from the XR and newer 
they can scan, passively scan uh, RFID tags. So you just hold them close and that's it. You don't have to open them up. You don't have to activate your phone. And they really didn't make a big fuzz about it. So I thought, hey, wait, this could be tipping point for RFID, this old technology that we've known about for 10 years, maybe. And, uh, and similar to 3D printing, because 3D printing isn't new either. Uh, it's been around since the 80s. There has to ha uh, happen some technological shift in the market that, that allows for this acceleration. And I think uh, this could be it for, for RFID. So uh, take your phone, you, you, you hold it close to a chip, and it activates something. I thought, okay, this, this could be, if I put this all together, this could be the solution to my business card problem. And the ultimate way to prove it is to build an MVP. So uh, before I had uh, a website or anything else, I just uh, took a card, put some stickers on it, and then started to show around to people. And when I saw the look on people's faces, the magic was back. So you hold your card against the phone and poof, my contact details, they pop up on your screen. And just seeing that, even with tech-savvy people, they're like, <gasps> I don't need an app for that. No, you don't. That's the moment I thought, okay, now I have something. Can I be really honest with you? So when, when we got this booked in and uh, I saw it's a, it's a business card, I was like, oh, Evernote flashbacks came into my head. I thought, I remember the days of being in a hotel room because the thing that I, I, am, I class myself as good at is sales. I'm a sales guy. I love networking, love trade shows. And I've been in that situation a hundred times where you've got a stack of business cards. It sounds like you've got more discipline than me. I normally end up at the bar, but it sounds like you didn't. You ended up actually following up and doing your job properly, which... I admire. Um, but I used to scan them into Evernote and I thought, oh, is this like a QR code thing? And then Sam in our team here, he, he pulled up the video and demonstrated it. And then I had that same aha moment. I was like, ah, this is different. Um, I love the fact that you sort of made your own MVP and got it out. What were the next things you did from there to turn it from something in, in your head into a business? What were the stages that you took? Uh, well, I quickly learned that um, you can invest um, time and money in, in things, uh, in building things, but uh, in the end, if you don't sell it, then you've all done that for nothing. And I'm uh, Eric Ries with his Lean Startup methodology, um, uh, always stuck with me. Like he didn't even build uh, an error 404 page because if nobody's going to your website, then they're never going to see that error, <laughs> right? So... I thought, okay, I could now buy expensive printers and I could do, or I could order a thousand cars printed with my, uh, my logo on it, a chip in it, pre-program it, spend a whole bunch of time and money. I didn't. I built a website to figure out if I could sell it first. And then I thought I'll sticker these things together and uh, uh, if, if people start to order it, then I'll, I'll figure out the next step. So um, in October, I showed it to some friends and family and uh, like always with my uh, crazy ideas a lukewarm response uh, <laughs> just simply I have so many ideas and uh, it's always my friends and family that have to test it out first uh, but there were some promising signs even the most uh, uh, strong critics now uh, said hey you know this you know it's still a, a worthless business card but hey there might be something here um, in December, uh, in November, I launched uh, a website, simple WordPress template, just threw it together in an evening, uh, and then put some uh, some Google Spend behind it. And um, 
it started to work. Uh, I had sold by the end of November 50 cards and the responses were good. And um, I had spent by then uh, every single evening uh, and weekend uh, to code my way through uh, a backend to work through. So the moment that something would happen, I was, I was somewhat ready. So um, my wife was pregnant, uh, obviously, and uh, uh, it took a lot of uh, flowers and, uh, and, and other things to, to sweeten the deal well, a bit. But very well played. <laughs> well, yeah, it was either that or the China I would go to. Um, anyway, um, so um, spent all of my hours in the evening and in the morning. So I was basically, while I was doing a consulting job during the daytime, uh, in the morning, I was uh, uh, creating orders and bringing them to the post office. In the evening, I was um, coding uh, through the back end and launching servers and, uh, and trying to figure out uh, what it would look like and how people would use it. And in the meantime, I was getting real-time user feedback because my first 50 customers had already ordered and, and started using their card. Um, Just out of curiosity, sorry to jump in, Peter, but like, um, what were people searching for on Google that converted... Uh, and obviously, happy not to go into secret source, but what was your thought process and how did you test that? I'm always curious. I think the listeners can get a lot from that in terms of, I love the fact you've got an MVP and you think actually before I build a business around it, let's just test if we get sales. Like how, how did you actually go about getting those users to the website? Yeah, with five or 10 bucks a day uh, on a Google um, uh on a Google campaign, you can figure out really, really quickly what sticks, and uh, Google helps you with this. So, talk to your 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 um, advertising specialist, your online paid specialist, to figure out what technology tricks you can pull to make sure that you get the right audience. And uh, you know, the end end of it is that it's not super hard anymore. Uh, you don't have to like the algorithms in Google; they will help you find the right people. Um, but yeah, now we're getting into secret sauce. But um, <laughs> yeah. I've got, uh, to tr I've got to try, Peter, of course. So you've got your first 50 customers. Uh, you've got direct feedback. What do you do with all that feedback that's coming in? How does that help you grow the business? Well, the, the hardest part of being an entrepreneur, and I, uh, maybe you can relate to this, uh, I think always is what do I listen to and what do I not listen to? Because everybody always has ideas about what you should be doing different and how you should be doing it. Um, so yeah, that that's a little bit of a you have to build your own compass and navigate through that, uh, and and I guess that's what life is about, and uh, and being an entrepreneur. So figuring out what do I listen to, what do I change, uh, what do I not change. But I quickly came to the realization, looking at the the marketplace and the industry, I wasn't the only one doing this. Um, there had been. I found an old page from uh, an old printing company uh, that had tried NFC and, and it was a, a broken link from 2014. So people had tried this before. But again, I knew that, that there was something would be different this time. So I just uh, pushed through and um, figured this out. And then uh, in December, uh, one of the first uh, personas that, that I hoped would be there got more of a solid... Um, Confirmation. So I was a happenstance sitting, uh, having coffee with my wife, and, and one of her uh, executive VPs dropped by. And this is a 50,000 employee company. And um, we were just having a casual conversation. He was on his way to the airport, so it was no business talk, or it was just about uh, the birds and the bees and uh, whatever was on the news. And uh, I showed him the business card at the end of the conversation. And he was, he was like, what's this? Um, I want five and I want them right now. So wait a minute, you don't need five. You can use one and use them 
use them again and again. And he said, no, but I'm going to lose them. And uh, I travel a lot and uh, I just want to look cool. And I thought, oh, wait a minute. So yes, we're saving trees. Yes, we're saving the world. But this is also something for executives to really make that impression again and be and have a conversation starter and, um, and really be remembered by. So that's the moment I said, okay, uh, that's next to the, the obvious stuff. This is something that really puts that magic back into, into place. And I feel that that brought a lot of memories back to the 3D printing and the retail world. I thought, okay, this could be, this could be something bigger than I thought it would be, just a side project and uh, became a real company. Um, just out of curiosity, obviously having a browse around the Mobila Card website, we've got, uh, I just want to talk about the pricing, to be honest. I find it really interesting how people price products. Uh, and if someone listens to this in six, 12 months time, this pricing may be out of date, so bear with me. But as of today, we've got one-off pricing and subscription enterprise pricing. How did you navigate your way to the prices that you can see on the website today? What was the thinking behind it? So that's a good question. And I, uh, again, um, You'll have uh, the first the first feedback I got not from customers but from interested uh, investors. Again, I have not. Oh, sorry, I have not taken any outside money yet. But obviously, I'm talking to uh, to people, uh, and the first thing they said was, "Yeah, you got to go have a subscription model." Mm -hmm. And um, I really think we're seeing some fatigue against the whole subscription thing. Like people want to pay for something and, and say, okay, this is it, because then they can see the end of it. And especially entrepreneurs in, in the small, medium enterprise segment, um, they're like, what do I do with a subscription model? Do I have to pay for that all of my life? And again, the, the background is, is Dutch, frugal, equal Dutch equals frugal, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you can, we can make that joke. I mean, um, and it's true also in a sense. So, I thought, no, we're going to have to make a one-time pr uh, uh, price point just like business cards so people can easily transition and not have to be afraid that they're going to have to pay for this forever. And then we'll, um, if, if people find it worth it to spend $39 for a custom card, um, then they'll also, if they really love the product and if they are convinced by using it a couple of weeks, then they're happy to pay a little bit extra to get access to uh, data, statistics, integrations with software and to really make it easier and easier and easier. So um, I really want to say uh, love your customers and um, give them something that's worth it and then you can price accordingly. So it feels like you've taken like a, so it's a stair-step approach. It's not one or the other as you look at your pricing table. It's get the product, use it, get the value and then you can then upsell them on a subscription once they've had that aha moment. Is that, would you say that's like fair to say? Yep. Yeah, we don't have, you can't have a trial. Uh, like I can't give you a 14 day trial, no, exactly. right? Yeah. So that's, that's the equivalent of it, I guess. No, I really like it. And when, when Sam showed it to me and our team, obviously we've got a, a small team here, but if we sent out one of our business development guys, uh, for me, I was like, hold on, I can actually see, I don't know whether this is on the back end, but I was assuming that I could actually see, as he at the trade show, how many connects has he had? What times are those connects been? As he just sat done nothing for four out, I could actually start to get in, uh, some analytics. Is that what we're talking about here? I can see Absolutely. you giving the okay. Yep. Yeah, that, yeah, um, yeah, I really like that. So just as we sort of come to the end of the conversation here, Peter, um, give me an idea of your, let's go with your top learnings since October. Uh, that you think listens to this podcast and the listeners of this show are people that are in employment wanting to make the jump or are running small to medium-sized companies so one to ten one to fifteen people is our is our demo what and it's so relatable having you on the show that's why i was excited to interview 
what are the key things that you should leave this show with so our listeners can get some get some advice yeah i think it's important that you realize that even if your wife's pregnant and you have a daytime job there is time um to to start a separate business um and i kind of i'm stealing this from gary v but uh, you you wake up at seven o'clock in the morning you have two hours before your job starts it's nine like nine a.m people are really really uh, normally uh, again getting to go and uh, even if you if you get up at 6 30 uh, you'll have two hours and half an hour to take care of the baby and 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 and, and your wife so that's two hours in the morning then you get home at six o'clock maybe seven o'clock you have a difficult commute i don't know you have dinner you you maybe you get some groceries and cook then it's eight eight thirty you give your wife a kiss um you watch some television it's nine o'clock in the evening you've had your evening then you have two hours left from nine to eleven before you go to bed so there's four hours in a day, every single day, that you're not spending on building a business. Um, you're either spending it with friends or with family. I moved from the Netherlands to New York. I don't have any friends and family here, so for me it's a little easier. Um, uh, obviously, I, I do have friends and family, but I'll, I'll see them on Saturday or on Sunday. So I have uh, five days a week, four hours a day. So I have 20 hours in, in that week, uh, besides the weekend, that I can spend on building a business. Use it really, really use it and go for it. And uh, so that's the first thing. So when you say people don't have time to build something besides their work, uh, that's, that's, I don't really uh, agree with that. That's the first thing. The second thing is the benefit of doing it next to your work is that you don't have the pressure of to deliver on commercial uh, value. So you don't have to bring in the revenue. You can test out and try and, and really uh, spend time on working your way through building that product uh, without crashing your uh, you don't you without having to worry that you won't be able to pay rent because that can really skew your your vision on how you want to build your product so not having that that financial pressure and doing it next to something else is really really cool and then the moment you're there and you really believe it and you found something double down um, you see that you got traction so in in January we got some real traction uh, and then in February uh, I said okay this is it full time and I talked to my wife, said, this is what I'm going to do. Um, we're good for the next, I don't know, time. And then um, uh, I saw a 4x in revenue going from January to February just because I'd spent full time all my time on it right now. And then uh, um, that's, that's the moment you know you've got something. So when you, start, when you build your business, test it out. The moment you know that there's a tipping point, double down absolutely love that top top advice Peter. and i guess on your second point there one thing that i took away from that is if you can run it on the side point number one you've got more time and if you can run it on the side from the way that you've spoken about this it was clear that you you had the time to think about the customer and not necessarily just the product you you got the customer right first then worked out the commercials because you didn't have that pressure peter i've absolutely loved having you on the podcast today uh, and for anyone listening to this right now that wants to learn more about mobilo card um, for me as a sales professional, uh, it, it piqued my interest once I had that aha moment. What's the easiest way for them to learn more about what you're building? Uh, go to mobilacard.com, watch the video. Uh, and if you're not sold by them, then give me a call, reach out uh, on email. Uh, I am uh, with a small team. We're, we're six people, um, two uh, over here in the US and uh, a handful uh from my previous days in India, I work uh, really, really well with them. Um, they're doing uh, advertisement stuff and the uh, design stuff and the online uh, and social media stuff. So sales and marketing and technology is over here. Uh, just reach out directly to me. 
Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R at mobilocard.com. Uh, we'll have a conversation. Even if you want to buy just one card, go ahead. Uh, we're built to customize and uh, to do one-offs. But uh, and then again, we would love to have your whole sales team use our card. Absolutely love it. And guys, if you listen to this and you come up to one of our future meetups, uh, walk up to me and say, let me have a look at your Mobilo card because I'm actually going to become a customer. Of this. I do genuinely want to test it out. Peter, thank you very much for your time. Stay safe and I'll speak to you soon. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Adam.